The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, yo, welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Fort. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. There's a hoop ball presentation, so check out Hoop Ball on Twitter at Hoop Ball. Tweets online, hoop-ball.com. NBA season, yo, is well underway, and I am joined by my good friend, Anarud, here to go into not only just a general NBA discussion, but also a, a little bit of a, a second iteration of the power ranking something that's going to be a regular segment here on round ball ramble a weekly segment so before we even get started with that on the route how you doing man i'm doing good how are you you know i'm good man i'm pumped ready to talk hoops got a lot going on um some fun games i don't think tonight's games we're recording this on tuesday the 16th actually met the hype at least after the first half but at the same time uh it, it, it's good it's always good to talk about basketball yeah, for sure. Just anytime you get to see Steph and KD play, it's always going to be a fun time. Yep. Also, breaking news. Anarud wants your reaction. The Staples Center apparently is going to be renamed for Crypto.com tomorrow. That's for listeners today. That's part of a multi-year naming rights deal for the Lakers, Clippers, and Kings Arena. How do you feel about no longer calling it Staples Center? I'm still going to call it Staples Center. I am too. Uh, shout out to my guy, Nakias. He retweeted, is nothing sacred. I completely agree. How are you going to do that? Why would you? Crypto should be ashamed of themselves. Why would they do it? Why are you renaming like one of the most iconic arenas? It just feels, yeah, it feels very exploitative and like kind of gross. And I get it. It's a business. So like, it really isn't that way. You know, like it's nothing wrong with it at all. I mean, Staples Center, of course, you know, just in general, but for nostalgia purposes, it's almost like when you went from the, I would imagine those who went from the Great Western Forum to Staples Center was a jarring, weird change. And and now we have our own, you know? Yeah. I don't know. This It's weird. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's just... Yeah, it definitely is weird, but uh, let's get started. We have some other news, not as breaking, but did happen earlier today on the route. Uh, Evan Mobley announced, according to Shams, that he'd be out two to four weeks with that right elbow sprain. The, pace, uh, the, the Pacers, the Cavs, with Mobley kind of leading the charge there, although, you know, timely contributions from guys like Rick Rubio, like Jared Allen, they were 9-4 and four, or 9-4 and four, um, right before he went down. How do you think the Cavs will kind of survive that stretch without him. He's been a, a key factor on what they do on both sides of the ball, but particularly on the defensive end. Yeah, he's been arguably their best player so far. I think recently Ricky Rubio might be better, but overall, just impact-wise, he's a great defender and just moves really well on the perimeter or on the inside and moves the ball well on offense too. Like he had a really bad game, but I'm going to chalk it up to the elbow issue where he went oh for eight i think or something crazy but yeah one for ten or something yeah it was just really bad on his part but i think the injury might have something to do with it but then again like he's always just been this guy who's like moves ball well and gets things going and without him 
like this is a team that's already like down a couple of guys like Larry Markin and Kevin Love have been out with protocols. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Sexton's been out. That's so who are you going to get to fill in the void? Like Dean Wade? Yeah. Oh, also, bigger staff said that um, Ed Davis and Taco Fall will get more minutes or could get more minutes. Taco Fall's in this team. Oh, my God. I forgot. Yep. Two way, baby. Oh, yeah. This is a team that has like five or six centers. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's Taco Fall's time to shine. I didn't even realize Ed Davis. So I keep forgetting. Like, I know he's with the Cavs. I've been known that. But, like, Every time he pops up, or I hear his name, I'm like, Ed Davis still in the league? And then I was like, oh, yeah, he's in Cleveland. He's one of those guys. Was he in the just... Jazz a while back? He was. Jazz the, and the Blazers and the Nets. And, yeah, he's been around. He's been around for sure. But, um, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how they kind of hold up. I don't know. They play the Nets. Then they have the Warriors. Um, then they have a three-day break, which would be nice to kind of take some time when they're not playing um, to possibly fall in the standings and, and hopefully, you know, kind of get Mobley back. Uh, three more days before they have Brooklyn again the following week. So they definitely are going to have a, a different stretch. They could easily go, you know, 0-3 just through the next three games between the Nets uh, home and away and the Cavs as well. And Mobley, like you said, has been just so impactful for what the Cavs have done. He's averaging 14.6 points on 49% from the field, shooting 30% from three, but also giving you eight rebounds, two and a half assists, over a block a game and a steal per game. Then he scored double figures in seven of the first eight games this month. So his contributions will definitely be missed. Uh, and you take that and add it to all the other absences that the Cavs have suffered. It's going to be really interesting to see kind of how they try to keep afloat, uh, you know, or try to keep their heads above water while he is uh, missing an action. So that's unfortunate news on the Cavs front. Uh, another injury-related news, uh, and probably is more more in your wheelhouse as, as a Mavs kind of insider here on the route, but um, Luka Doncic with that ankle injury that he suffered in the final minute versus Denver, he will not play um, in tonight's game as we're listening to this. Um, no, tomorrow, Thursday's game against the Suns. No, this tomorrow. Yeah. T- tomorrow while we're recording tonight for you listeners, he won't be in their game uh, and he might be out for a little bit of time, not especially long, but definitely you think for the next two or so games so on a route what does the absence of Luka Doncic kind of mean for the Mavericks and how do you think Jason Kidd will adjust who who stops up more of that usage uh Jalen Brunson easily there it is uh arguably the best player on the Mavs currently in terms of like consistent performance uh we all know that Luka's like the actual best player but Jalen Brunson's been the driving force right now and he's been good in a starting role so I think he's going to be the starter I'll probably move Frank into that and Sterling Brown into that next group up as your guards. But uh, it'll be interesting. Like the Suns are a team the Mavs have never seemed to really be able to beat in the regular season. It's been like a while since I've seen them actually win, get a win against them. Mm-hmm. And the Suns are starting to play a lot better than they have been re- earlier in the season. So I'd say it's going to hurt them for the next couple of games, but I don't anticipate it being too long. Luca always seems to recover pretty quickly from these type of injuries. Like he suffered them in the playoffs, and, and yeah, it is a playoffs, but like he usually can recover pretty quickly. So I think the master just being a little cautious with him and letting him rest, but I think he'll be fine. Okay, I don't I mean, really anticipate uh-huh. this like taking Dallas or anything. Oh, okay, got you. Just something that's going to be just a little bump in the road, not something that's going to be like a seismic kind of shift for them, basically. Yeah. Totally makes enough sense there, right there with you. Um, and then 
we want to talk before we get you know knee deep into the power rankings. Uh, you had some uh, NBA top seventy five stub talks to have, so let's kind of get into that here. What are your kind of overarching reaction? I never really addressed it on Roundball Ramble, partly because I just felt like it was kind of weird. Not not the the actual NBA seventy fifth anniversary and the celebration, but the fact that you basically were going to trot everyone back and then just pick twenty five guys out of the snubs you had from the first fifty years plus all of the many notable standout players who could easily be on that list this year. Wasn't a big fan of having Damian Lillard and Anthony Davis on this list over a guy like Dwight Howard, who like, it just feels like politics. Actually, it doesn't feel like it. It absolutely was just politics that kept him off of the list. Not a big fan of that whole thing. So I just decided, you know what? I don't need the negativity in my life. Like, I don't got to talk about it. We just not going to bring it up because it was all lame. Like, there was nothing about that celebration to begin with outside of that really cool um, commercial Michael B. Jordan that I was a fan of. Like absolutely nothing was, 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 was cool to me. They had that weird NBA mural deal that was awkward and just weird. None of it was cool. And this NBA 75th was another one that I added to that list. But when we were talking, you were kind of bringing it up and you had some excellent points and you even teased a little bit of a hot take. And I am a sucker for hot takes if I am not a sucker for anything else. So lay it on me, please, bro. So first, just in general, like the thing that really started to get me about this was the recent Udala quote about Kyrie talking about him being a top 20 player yeah, and being one of the best point guards of all time. That's, and I think yeah. like overall, just like when you hear a lot of these players talk, they seem to really idealize this like skill and flashiness almost where like they'll, they'll almost have like a higher respect for that kind of ability as opposed to like Rudy Gobert just being one of the best defenders and not necessarily that I'm saying Kyrie is a worse player than Rudy Gobert, but just that kind of player where people always tend to gravitate towards that. I think Iverson is a popular one where like, was he really as impactful as like an MVP candidate? Mm -hmm. No, I don't think so, but people seem to always just love him and he does have this cultural impact. So going through the 75 list, like, yeah, a lot of the old guys, like I wasn't young, I wasn't old enough to ever watch them. So it's not like I'm going to be a huge critic. I don't like the idea that you're just going to take the 50 list and just add 25 names because you're kind of saying that, oh, this 50 list, we got it exactly right. And you have to live by our rules. Exactly. Like, I think there's some players on there that should definitely not be on here. And when it comes to the modern players, I think like one of the things that happened was a lot of the international players got hurt by this just because they're limited spots if you're only adding 25 new players. And one of the, I think Pau Gasol is one that clearly needs to be on this list. Mm-hmm. I think Arvidas Sabonis As, would be one. I mean, Arvidas Sabonis didn't really play in the NBA. That I mean, that's true. I mean, I liked his little, what, what from 95 to 2002. I guess you're right. You're right. Maybe top 75 as much, but you're going to tell me that over 80? I think there's a different big that is – not Dwight Howard, who really should be in this list. Absolutely. Ooh, let's hear this guy. He, do you want to guess? He's in the same draft class as Damian Lillard. That 2012 draft class. Really? Um, hmm, 2012. Sheesh, my brain is blanking. All right, so it was 80 that year. Was it not um, Thomas Robinson? Trying to think of that 2012 NBA draft. Let me. Um, who came from that one? Wait, Rook. Um, Draymond was in that one, right? Yep. 
Yeah, Andre. Andre. Oh, that's who it is. Okay, good. I'm about to say Andre Drummond next. <laughs> I was going to guess Andre Drummond, but he came to mind. Oh, you think he should be top 25? I mean, top 75. Oh, top 75. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> I think Draymond a... Green. Uh-huh. Okay, here's my argument for Draymond Green, and I yeah. think he should be in there uh, ahead of Lillard. And here's why. I think Draymond Green is one of the most influential defenders of the modern era. Every defense is now built on this idea of trying to recreate what Draymond Green had. The small ball, he's the guy that unlocked it. And his passing was really the engine that set that Warriors offense apart. And I think, yes, when you have Steph and Clay as two really good shooters and Steph being this off-ball wizard, having Draymond just makes that even more powerful. And Draymond Green, to me, is one of the two best defenders in the last 10 years, him and Rudy Gobert. And I think for him not to be on this list is kind of disappointing. I mean, you make an interesting argument for him. He's someone that you said in the mold of a um, Dennis Robin who's on that list, you know, three-time All-Star, three-time champ, six-time All-Defensive team, uh, was a SEALs champion in 2017, two-time All-NBA, Defense Player of the Year in 2017, uh, you know, I, I think you uh, he is somebody that, like, the stats don't do it justice for his impact, not only with the dynastic Warriors, but just in general as an impactful NBA defender. Um, they definitely don't do him justice for his career. I did not realize this, but basically nine, seven, and, and six, which is doing a little bit of everything and I guess fits the, the perfect uh, type of player that Draymond Green is. But, yeah, I, I see why you say that. I could agree because you're right. He stands out in a way that, you know, Clay Thompson was was myth that he was on the list, and he is an, an all time great shooter and a decent defender as well. But like Draymond Green is like to defense, I would imagine what Steph Curry is to. Nope, that's a little bit of a stretch. I don't feel comfortable going there. He is very important on the defensive end, um, transformative in the modern era of, of NBA basketball, and is definitely someone who could um, find his way on this team for sure. He'll definitely. Be I'd top argue 100. that his impact metrics all rate him as like an all-time great player just in terms of impact. He's up okay. there in like the top 30, top 40. And yeah, his offense doesn't flash the same way as like a Steph Curry would, but his passing was really unique and it's really what unlocked that Warriors team. And I just think for a team like the Warriors to only have Steph on there is a little bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. And there's another dynasty that I'm a little annoyed by the Spurs, who only had Duncan. I'd argue one of Ginobili or Tony Parker has to be on there, and my choice would be Ginobili. Yeah. Culturally, but, I would imagine also a longer, I would say longer stretch of, of sustained access. Like, Tony did good, but I think Tony, like, fell off hard toward the end. Yeah, that Charlotte run was... Pitiful. Honestly, his last Spurs season, last season and a half, weren't great. Even like, that 14 championship, Parker wasn't that, that guy. Great. Yeah, it was Ginobili really yeah. stepping up. No, I but have yeah. to agree with you on that. That's true. That's true. I just I feel like you have to put somebody like Dwight Howard. Excuse me. You have to put someone like Dwight Howard there. Absolutely. No, oh, yeah. Goodness. Dwight Howard, like, it's dumb that he's not there. He was a top, he was the best center in the league for a stretch of time. One of the best defenders. And he nearly took. He stopped LeBron from going to the finals that year. 
it's like, what are you? Why would this guy not be on this team? And I think the reason is of the off the court stuff and the way he kind of left Orlando and LA, the original run. Oh yeah, burning bridges and, for sure. But like, yeah, it's just still we're not doing the top seventy five greatest sportsmen in the NBA. You know, Dwight Howard wouldn't be on the list. Quite a few others wouldn't be on the list. I mean, goodness gracious, Carmelo's on the list. Like. This is about on the court, is it not? You know, so I feel like you have to go by what he did on the court. I, another guy I look at is, and this is a guy who would be more on the on the edge, but he led the '80s in its entirety in scoring, and that'll be Alex English. I yeah, like Alex that. English should be there. He was a leader on one of those Denver teams, just really good offense. You you can't he should be in there. You can't Any tell Hardaway. Me. Hardaway, uh, um, Tim Hardaway. I uh, yeah, that's no, another not one. Tim. No. Any. Ooh, I don't know. I, I like Penny he, Hardaway, he but I think it was enough. way too short. Okay. Like, well, no, See, because I look, think... he came in in 93, right? 93 NBA draft. He, by the time he got to Phoenix, he was already kind of done. And that was in 99 to the 2000. Like, is his peak like Tracy McGrady, who also wasn't on the list, or Grant Hillworthy? I, I'd say it's more Grant Hillworthy, yeah. But Tracy McGrady, I don't know. You know what I mean? What do you think? I'd say there was a like a two year period where his offense was just really good, um, but yeah, the peak is so short that it does make it a little harder to uh, put him in the list. Like T Mac, at least had a little bit longer than that. Yeah, um, and like an iconic moment slash moments where Penny, you know, Penny played well. If anything, I think that Penny uh, had an underrated nineteen ninety seven playoffs against the. Um, the Heat, we exploded for like a 40, back-to-back 40-point games to kind of get the Magic, uh, undermanned Magic team back into that um, that that round. But they still end up losing. Like, I, I don't know. I think that he had his moments, but definitely just not sustained enough to me. But I definitely see where you're coming from. Did Batumbo not make the team? I don't think that he did, but also like, I I wouldn't put him on there. Okay. I mean, like, Mutombo was a great shot blocker, right? But, like... Good defender. Good defender, but, like, is he more... Yeah, I don't see him on this list. Like, he's not... I don't know. If you're going to have... I would think Draymond Green a thousand times before I would think... Oh, no. Yeah. It can be Mutombo. And I would also put someone like Hakeem Olajuwon or Dennis Rodman over Mutombo. Like, he's more... He also didn't give you anything. Hakeem is on there, right? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I'm just saying okay. in terms of like, no, no, I'm sorry. Don't mean to freak you out there. No, I'm just saying in terms of guys who are like defenders that I look at like, okay, they're uh, – Hakeem was obviously had such a positive offensive game, but defensively he was he was dominant. I'm looking at like – if you're looking at a defensive specialist on this top 75. Ben Wallace. Yeah. More who, similar to Matombo. Exactly. And he's not there either. You're really looking at, like you said, uh, a guy like – well, Draymond's not in there, but Dennis Rodman kind of – represents the defensive specialists that they were hoping to have on this team but like scanning this i i just don't know like certain guys i'm glad they they, they got in like you know ray allen i don't know ray allen's a way allen's weird to me ray allen is a weird one to me like ray allen had big moments ray allen was a great shooter you know but like ray allen wasn't the best guy on his own he didn't like lead teams like that except like the early 2000 bucks even then, he had Sam Cassell and Glenn Robinson with him, you know. Um, later on, 
uh, he was doing big numbers on a Seattle Supersonics team that was going nowhere. Then he went and joined Boston. Good for him. Then Miami, at the tail end of his career, made a big shot to to obviously help the the Heat even win that finals to stay in it and then win it. But I mean, at that level, I'm putting him next to Robert Ory, who isn't on that list and shouldn't be. So, like, I don't know. I don't know if Ray Allen should be there, in my opinion. Okay, I think Ray, to me, just because of those Milwaukee years where he was a really solid player. And I think he had a little more polished his offensive game than just being the spot up shooter. But um, mm-hmm. no, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, he uh, absolutely did too. Like he had what he, I mean, he had some high scoring seasons in Milwaukee. He peaked in Seattle where he basically averaged uh 26, four and four, but yeah, like that weird Seattle team. Exactly. But even then it's like, okay, like that's good. That's solid. That's great. That's, that's Mitch Richmond to me. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. That's my hottest take. I, I said I didn't have one, and then I came with that. But, like, I don't hear so it. My hot like, take was uh-huh. just the Draymond thing. Like, I think Draymond should be up there. Yeah. No, dude. And that's honestly a really good one. That's, like, it's a hot take, but it's also, like, honestly, like, a really kind of fleshed out one, the way you brought it to the table. So, I'm with like, you. Like, I think he should probably be there over Clay if Clay was to be in this list. If there was an argument for either of them, I think Draymond would be the more impactful guy. I agree. Without Draymond, you basically have the Portland Trailblazers backcourt, albeit a better shooting squad. That's that's yeah. my hottest take. Like, they, like he's the one who like unlocks lineups and makes so you can play that devastating small ball lineup and defends bigger guys and helps out in the back line and shores everything together. Like without that, again, I, I think you're you you have a much better version of the Portland Trailblazers backcourt, and they're pretty damn I mean, good. He's the guy that punishes you when you try to trap Stepper Dane. Mm-hmm. If right now when you trap Dame, it's just him kicking out to CJ or someone else and hoping they can get something up. When you when Steph gets trapped, he throws it to Draymond and Draymond's leading break. It's an immediate four on three, and they're getting a shot off. So absolutely, I think Draymond is just underrated throughout. Like I think even by like modern fans, they don't really understand what Draymond is mm-hmm. and how unique he is. I think he gets seen as his afterthought, maybe because of what happened in. Uh, 2019 where it was just him but yeah I it's just I I have some problems with the way this list is made but overall yeah it's weird but it's a lot of old guys too that I can't really talk about yeah I see what you mean there are some that are obvious on there like Dolph Shays yeah original start stretch big solid guy George Mikan yeah Mm -hmm. that's fine Bill Russell obviously Wilt Chamberlain uh I was surprised Wes Onsell didn't get on there yeah, here's the thing. Like, the reasoning that Russ Unsold, I'm sure, did not get on the list is the reason I think they should have kind of evaluated others a lot more critically. Because, like, Unsold was good defensively, good rebounding, great outlet passes. But, like, he wasn't, like, if you really look at his numbers and, like, peel away the nostalgia and everything, like, okay. You know, like, it, it's nice. But but you already have enough nice guys on this team. I'm not saying, like, in person, it's been like, okay, like, I don't hate it. But, like, also, you have Lenny Wilkins and and, and – who else on this team? Dave Bing on this squad. They're like, okay, they were good. Again, I'm not trying to, to speak out of my like level of expertise in terms of watching, but like even watching and reading stuff from back then, they were good guards. Like that does not mean, you know, top 75. I mean, look at these guys and, and, and their records and everything. Lenny Wilkins was much more impactful as a coach. And, you know, I mean, Dave Bing, 
definitely had his moments, but like if you look at his teams, they weren't. Dave they weren't, should not be on this list. Absolutely not, and and that's what I mean. Like, there's enough guys that are weird. Unselled is one of those guys to me where he should be on the outside looking in, but for the very same reason that I would put maybe a Jerry Lucas or a Dave DeBuscher, like one of those guys needs to go off the list. Like, we don't need both members of the starting front court for the 1970s Knicks dynasty. Like, that's not something we need. Like yeah, all due so the Knicks to that. get like their whole roster. Oh yeah, and the Spurs get one, one guy. guy. Uh, absolutely, it's like, ridiculous. No, that's that's not right. The Spurs were this like perennial sixty-win team. Yeah, on four titles, five titles. Yeah, Whatever. it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So uh, that that's what I got on that. But I'm with you on I'm with you in general on like the overall um, kind of snub of Draymond Green and and maybe just how much people are sleeping on him and how much he actually fits on this roster on this seventy-five yeah. list. But yeah, that, that ends my rant. Um, yeah, just any Draymond Green slander I will not tolerate. Hey, I'm with pro it. Pro Draymond you, Green person. You heard it. Anarud will take all comers. So make sure that you are aware of that. All right. Well, my, with that, uh, huh? my senior year, I wrote an essay in, I think it was my, my math class. It was like a short presentation on the importance of Draymond Green to the Warriors offense. Mm-hmm. And I still have that, and like I, that is my prized like memory. Just writing about Draymond Green, I will fight tooth and nail. That was that was that was the guy. Hey, everyone has. Yeah. I mean, everyone has their guy. They're willing to throw themselves on the sword for. Um, some pick wisely. Some like myself pick Monte Ellis and Michael Beasley. You know, we all have our guys. Right? Monte Ellis, I think, is fine. Beasley, uh, yeah, I don't know about. He was there during summer league. I still can't believe that. He was. I know. And Kenneth Freed. I'm so shocked that team just didn't win all the games, just from the experience alone. But they were very, very mediocre. So, yeah, that was totally a thing. But, um, yeah, with that on the route, let's go on down to the just the meat of the show here, the power rankings. Um, Do you want to start from 1 to 30 or 30 to 1? Oh, uh, Let's just get rid of some of the bottom ones out of the way. Let's do uh, it. I think – New Orleans needs to go down a tier. Okay. I had them in that second tier just because of the sheer fact they're trying, but no, I, yeah. I've given up on them. Like, they don't know how to play. I went back and forth between the Pelicans and the Rockets because the Rockets obviously are just the worst team, but at the same time, like, the Pelicans are bad, and it's like their record shows that they're just not good. Um, at the same time, you look and, you know, you had news on on Zion Williamson, who apparently um, is now progressing a little bit and maybe doing some five-on-five, five, uh, but still a ways away from what we hear. So we'll kind of see where he falls there. But at least there's some positive news after having had no news for the longest time. Brandon Ingram came back um, and helped the Pelicans win a game before they gave up a 17-point lead and lost uh, their most recent game here. But, like, You've just had a again. We've talked about this roster over and over and, and over in nauseum. But like you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker was fine. Is finding his form after a rough start. Devonte Graham has been good at least shooting the ball. Um, not much else defensively. It's been weird. You know, you had um, on the offensive and Jonas Valanciunas doing getting work in as well. But the Pelicans sit at the bottom. I mean, they're two and twelve. They're twenty fifth in offensive rating. They're 29th in defensive rating. They're twenty eighth in net rating. You know, Brandon Ingram again helped them end a nine-game losing streak, but like that, it's been rough for them. It has just been rough for them, and their backcourt has been rough as well. Because again, Nikhil Alexander Walker 
has not been very good, and I've been really high on this kid, but he has an effective field goal percentage of just 27% on pull-up jumpers. That's the second-worst mark among 72 players who have attempted at least 50. Now, I didn't even look at who had the worst mark because I feel it was my guy. I feel it was my guy, Russell Westbrook. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it to myself. And I actually was not – I was wrong, and I'm happy to hear it. So who leads in that category, actually, is Jalen Suggs. One of the Houston guys? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Jalen Suggs. Oh. And then right below that, Anthony Davis. Ooh. And then Jalen Green. Jalen Suggs has an effective field goal percentage of 20 on those jumpers. Nikhil Alexander Walker, 28. Anthony Davis, 33. Jalen Green, 34. You know, then you go to Reggie Jackson, Giannis, Jordan Poole, OJ Anobi, Cam Reddish. Then you go to your fellow Pelican and Brandon Ingram. Yeah, it's Kevin Porter Jr. Actually, he's a little healthier up the list. He's just under 40%. Anthony Davis was not a name I expected. Listen, I, yeah, I wish I could say the same, but his jumper has largely left him since uh, the 2020 bubble season. Like, I just feel like he's just kind of lost that. You know, that, that touch is gone. But you're right. He's someone that just hasn't had. He's shooting 21 of 65 on those shots. And from three-point range, uh, well, one of three, just in that in that kind of area. Um, but yeah, just that, and that's on pull-up shooting. So him one of three is that's fine because Anthony Davis shouldn't be taking pull-up threes anyway. But he you know he likes to get into his rhythm to get into a shot, and that rhythm and shot just have not been working. I mean, it's been it's been rough. And honestly, of the four guys I brought up, um, Jalen Suggs, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Anthony Davis, and Jalen Green, only Jalen Green has taken more pull-up attempts. He's at seventy. Um, than Anthony Davis. But going back to Nikhil Alexander-Walker and the Pelicans as a whole, they've just been a rough team. They've just been a bad team. Uh, they have Washington, Miami. Um, well, they already had Washington. Washington came back for 17 and beat them. Miami, the Clippers, and in the end, I could see them losing all three games. Yeah, they were in a nine-game losing streak, and then they won against Memphis, which we'll talk about later. But it's a lot of road games coming up, and they're probably they're going to lose a lot. And Without Zion and Brandon Ingram, their just team has no chance. It's true. They 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 just don't. They don't. And we don't know when he's going to come back. By the time he comes back, it'll be too late. I've been going back and forth on whether or not he should even come. You know, being that they're going to be so far out of contention, whatever the case may be. But honestly, he needs his minutes. He needs his reps. He needs to just be healthy, stay healthy. And I'm referring to Zion here and just get that time. So I'm definitely with you there. Pelicans are definitely in the bottom tier. Right next to them would most assuredly be the Rockets, right? Yeah, the Rockets and the Pelicans, I think, are trading that worst team spot. The Rockets, I mean, it's a young team that turns the ball over a lot. And I think they're like the favorite team for any team to play against. If you want to boost your net rating, play the Houston Rockets. You'll see a spike the next day. (laughs) <laughs> that's true that's true um unless you're the lakers in which case you'll make it tighter than it has to be but the rockets man i mean they just have an inexperienced backcourt that has not been able to kind of get them just consistent offense they rank last in offensive efficiency at 98.9 points per 100 possessions uh kevin porter jr and jalen green are two of the four players in the league shooting less than 40 percent from the floor i already mentioned that list a minute ago uh they average 81.9 points per 100 possessions. That's 25 per 100 fewer than league average. Like, it's just been rough. And 
Uh, the front court hasn't been great. Christian Wood, Daniel Tice has been kind of weird. Um, defensively, is definitely not helpful. Offensively, someone's left out. Uh, you haven't really had efficient shooting, like we just mentioned, from either your backcourt guys. You're not getting Christian Wood shots in rhythm because the playmakers that are, you know, initiating the offense just don't know how to do that consistently. So you have veteran guys who are just kind of sitting there struggling, and that's why you have just an anemic offensive team. The Rockets sit dead last in offensive rating, actually milled the pack in defensive rating, and overall up 27th in net rating. And it's just been it's been unfortunate to see. Um, but it is a young squad. I just look at them and I go, if they're being this bad and like, it's going to take them some time. It's still what 10, you know, 15 games in the season. But like, I don't know how John Wall couldn't have helped a little bit in terms of being on the floor and playing alongside these guys and showing these guys kind of how to just improve. I think that he has more value on the court than he does kind of wasting away on the sideline. I don't really care what the reasoning is because, you're letting them muddle through, but like they're, they're just going to go through the school of hard knocks again and again. There's only so much I imagine they can learn from DJ Augustine and John Wall on the sidelines or in practice, you know? Yeah, I think like regardless of John Wall's athleticism and like maybe he's not the same player that he used to be, he still was one of the best passers in the NBA and one of the best playmakers. And that's the thing that these guys need to understand is how do you set everyone up on your team, not just go for your own shot and John Wall could do that on the floor. And I think they're just trying to figure out how to move him. So they're trying to keep him off the floor. So he stays healthy, but I think it's just going to hurt their development for a little bit. Um, It's one of the bad things about having a veteran like that on your team. When you just have some new guys, they, you ideally want them to play together so you can at least develop the young guys, but it's, it's going to be bad. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of another team that's bad, but I mean, I look at this in a much more encouraging way. It's the Orlando Magic, which we just kind of got to go into here. Um, they are three and 10. They have Atlanta, New York, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Uh, they are 27th in offensive rating, 26th in defensive rating, 29th in net rating. Uh, Cole Anthony, uh, not only leading the Magic in scoring this season, but also just third in rebounds per game. What do you think about that? Third and rebounds, like, in the NBA? Oh, no, for the Orlando Magic, sorry. Mind their oh, okay. What, yeah, what do you think? I, yeah, I mean, all 6-2 of him. Isn't Steph, like, one of the leading rebounders for the Warriors? You know what? That is true. He did have a, 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 a good, like, spot of that. And mind you, um, Cole Anthony was averaging just under seven rebounds per game. Now his scoring is 20 points. His stat line is 20 points. Um, 6.6 rebounds, 5.6 assists, shooting 39% from three on just under eight attempts per night. And yeah, you're right. I think Steph Curry was leading them for a bit, um, the Golden State Warriors, in rebounding. I'm pretty sure that's falling off now. Now I'm going to double-check myself here live on the radio to kind of see where he's at. But let me see. Steph is averaging, uh, uh, no, 6.2. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, it's still funny that... uh, Cole Anthony's doing averaging more, but yeah, it's really down to percentage points, really. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. They probably want Cole just running things and letting him get the ball off the break. But uh, Jalen Suggs turned his ankle. Uh, so, depending on how long that might keep him out, that might be something to watch. Yeah. They have been looking a little more competitive with Suggs on the floor, just his defensive presence and being a tough guard. But 
Yeah, this is a young team, and we still have to see like what this team looks like when Isaac and Fultz come back. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and seeing where they kind of all fit together, because you, you right now you have a team that yeah they're bad. This is you know stage one, ground zero of a rebuild. Um, Jalen Suggs is still kind of continuing to struggle. He has a turnover rate that is fourth highest among 210 players who have averaged at least 20 minutes. We've already talked about his just below average shooting, so he's definitely trying to find his way. Um, at the same time, I've liked what I've seen in moments from Obamba. Definitely liked the play of Wendell Carter Jr. Cole Anthony's been just very good for this team at times, and I think there's a play sometimes much more encouraging than their current record uh, would tell you. But I'm right there with you there, and I guess that leads us to well, one I'm gonna go. To, I'm gonna tackle both these teams at the same time, kind of get your feel on this. Uh, I have the Pistons and the Wolves next. Yeah, that seems about right. The Wolves. Uh huh. God, they don't know how to play basketball. You can't. Yeah, That's they, honestly, they don't. what it feels like. Yeah, you can't get. Through all three of their guys, their three main guys, Carlton Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and um, Anthony Edwards to play great at the same time. You'll get one of, of, of the two. You might get two out of three. They, they had a, a close, just heartbreaker to Phoenix where Carlton Towns owned the fourth quarter. D'Angelo Russell did enough in, in, in down the stretch to help out as well. And it was Anthony Edwards, you know, bouncing the ball off his knee at a pivotal moment, backing up for a three when they really only needed a two tie, trying to go for the three to win, and then you lose the ball and you end up not being able to do anything. Did you see the play at the end where uh, Anthony Edwards gets the ball and he goes into an isolation and Towns just walks away and starts walking back? I did not. Really? Yo, okay, real yeah. quick. What are the vibes like, do you feel, with Carlton Towns and Minnesota? Because he says all the right things, man, but like you had that weird Twitter hack, quote unquote. Um, and then you also have like, this attitude you're describing. Like, what do you think about that? It's something fishy in my book. Yeah, so the Wolves started three and one. And over their last eight games, they've lost seven of them. And five of those losses have been by double digits. And anytime you watch this team in the fourth quarter, you know Towns is their best player. He's the guy that should have the ball. He's like a Jokic light almost, where he can play, make, he can go to a post, he can shoot really freaking good for a big. And instead, they have him like sitting in the corners while Edwards and D'Angelo Russell just take turns isoing at the top and go to pull up jumpers. Like, use your big guy, the one guy who's like your star. Use him. And, I mean, if I'm talented, I'd be pissed off at them. Like, it makes sense why he walked away. I wouldn't have done that because mm-hmm. that's a bad look. But, I mean, love vibes. yeah, it's just rough. It is. I feel bad for him. It's, it's, it's just a rough stretch. This team, I think, definitely has talent. But I didn't see enough for, like, a sustained play-in kind of spot. Um unless, you know, you had Edwards just immediately turn to a totally different player and maintain that level of play. DeAndre Russell proving to be the panacea that apparently the Wolves thought that he would be and Carly Towns just being at a really high level. And I think you've gotten some of that at certain points from all of them, but nothing consistently enough from any of them to, you know, really make you think, you know what, this Wolves team is really going places. Um, certainly not what I've seen. Yeah, and, it's just, it's a... Like, how bad does that Russell trade look now? Dude, like it looks... Every day just keeps looking so much better for the Warriors. 
Yeah, I'm not it, exactly. It is. And I think that was a great piece. Um, John Krasinski um, on the athletic was talking about kind of um, the Andrew Wiggins and his return revenge game, the two games he put on Carl Anthony Towns, just the way he played and the, the leading the Warriors to win against Minnesota. And he was also kind of describing the mindset of, of Gershon Rosas and the moves that he made in terms of um, getting past you know, selling out everything for D'Angelo Russell, expecting to be the point guard of the future, the one that he needed, bringing him in, ushering him in as a superstar from the very moment he came in on the helicopter, just all of that. And it's like, that was over the top for what is merely a very, you know, decent point guard. And yeah, it's just such a disastrous trade to lose a lottery pick as well. Someone who could conceivably help this team. You can't tell me to have a Jonathan Kaminga or something as well, that this team wouldn't be better equipped. And it's all the way unfortunate. I think it even shows how, poorly planned the roster was in terms of not bringing in a proper power forward along Carl Anthony Towns um, and then just not getting that addressed just saying straight up you know we just don't have that and we'll kind of do it by committee and you know whether it's um, Jay McDaniels or you know um, Jared Vanderbilt like it's not a consistent solution there There, this is all up and down you've had injuries of course the three haven't all had a great time to gel and now they're finally getting that and they're just not being um, consistent in their front uh, in terms of, you know, this this United type of play. And it's all bad. I think I probably spent, we probably spent more time on the Timberwolves than like <laughs> even they would spend on themselves here. But I would throw the Pistons in that same boat, albeit a little less negatively. We know what they are. I mean, Kate Cunningham is actually starting to play a little bit better. Um, he had his first kind of clutch uh, stretch against the Raptors in a win. Uh, scoring twice in the final two minutes of the game over OG and Obi, uh, kind of maybe glimpsing at a little bit of what he could be as that closer, you know, flashing that number one potential that everyone uh, was all high on him before he, of course, started slow with that injury. So you definitely had that. Um, he's, he's starting to get a little bit, I think he's starting to find his way there. He's still not shooting super great, but that'll come in time. The Pistons are tw- uh, 29th in offensive rating, 19th in defensive rating. They're dead last in net rating uh they have their longest homestand of the season begins uh they began this week uh and then it ends with visits from the warriors the lakers and the heat all of which should be interesting but honored what are your thoughts on detroit yeah i mean cade's been looking better and i think this team does well when they just let cade run the show this cade killian hayes thing is just it's weird i think killian there might be still a good player in there, but they have to figure out how they're going to use the two of them. Um, Kelly Olenek got hurt, and that's probably going to hurt their rotation quite a bit. Yeah. Just trying to bring up Isaiah Stewart or whoever else. But um, did you see the recent thing about Marvin Bagley? Uh, was that the rumored trade to Detroit? Yeah. Yeah, go into that a little bit, because I did find that interesting, especially when I heard some of the noise – um, coming from Hamadou Diallo and Detroit and not want to be checked into the game, if I remember that correctly. Yeah, it looks like there's a couple people on Detroit, like Hamadou, that could theoretically fit into a trade for Marvin Bagley. And we all know that Marvin Bagley isn't really a fan of Sacramento. Um, he did just recently refuse to check into a game. Um, but, I mean, I'm all for Marvin Bagley just to – get a new start. I think the Kings, the whole situation there has been kind of misused a little bit. They're, they couldn't figure out if he's a four or five and they never really try to use him well. Um, he has also been hurt quite a bit. So I think going to the Pistons, getting a new start and 
having a point guard like Cade can just make a lot of bigs better. Like we saw it in Dallas with Luca and Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell just became a really good role man once Luca showed up. So I think going to a situation that like that where things can become a lot simpler for you and you'll have a defined role to go into, Marvin Bagley could start to show up a little bit. I definitely want him to get a shot for sure. I think he's someone that definitely deserves that. Um, in terms of, okay, let me let me rephrase all of that. I think he deserves that chance this season. All right, I don't think he got a proper shot. You know, he said all the right things. Training camp looked all good. Saw what happened in Sacramento. Why not give him a shot? He's already going to be someone that is not, I mean, come on. He's, he's going to be a restricted free agent. Why not, you know, buy low, you know, see what you have in him. Someone who definitely teases double-double potential and then kind of go from there. You know, kind of ascertain what you have to work with and then proceed with that knowledge. I don't see what would be the big deal there. And I'm hoping that that is something that the Pistons or I think they're really the only team that's like interested in that, but are able to do. I think that would be a good fit. And then why not get Hamadou Diallo, somebody who could kind of swing and play the three for Sacramento a little bit and, and kind of see where that goes. Again, it's 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 a minor move for a minor move, but both guys more than likely just really need that that change of scenery. But yeah, uh-huh. I think how did y'all did he get extended? Yes, if I remember correctly, I feel like he did. Um, we look at his contract now just to double check on that, but I'm pretty sure that he did. Yeah, he got a two year, $10.4 million deal to stay with Detroit. Um, and the thing is, I mean, to be fair. In his three seasons, this shows you one, I guess, how low he started on that. But he has improved his three-point shooting, rebounding, scoring, and assisting all three years up until this year. So he definitely has shown improvement, for sure. And he's still only 23. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think just changing scenery might be good for both of them. Totally agree. But moving on, what's your next team in this in this list or tier, Anarud? of the guys you of, of the squad here. I mean, we've already gone through some of the rebuilding teams. I think now it's like the Kings and some other. Squ- I, I don't want to tell your list for you here. I'm intrigued to kind of hear where you have them, but I'm looking more Kings thunder kind of Pacers territory. I'm not sure where you're at. Yeah. The thunder. I mean, what, <laughs> what is there to say about them? They're, they're, Honestly, not a whole lot. The, there is. They're a team that fights hard, but we know what they're trying to do. Yeah. I think that Sacramento win was hilarious. Just seeing Lou Dort rip the ball. What was it? Fox lost mm-hmm. the ball. Dort picks it up, goes down, throws a dunk. Yeah. It's, and then two wins before that. It's just the Thunder always – had these weird comeback wins this year. So yeah, defensively, group of guys. Yeah, for sure. They've climbed. They went. Uh huh. They're just like I said before. They're a well-coached team that's like developing. So they're a team like you don't want to take lightly just because they'll guard you and they'll play hard. But yeah, they're not the same level as some other teams, and they know that, and they're not trying to be for a while. Exactly. You said it. They're just trying to stay within themselves. They climbed from 28th in defensive rating to 15th over the last two weeks. Uh, Offensively, there's not a whole lot there. They have 
Shea Gilgis Alexander, he's their guy. He's still their star, obviously. They have Lou Dort, who scored 20 or more points in three straight games for the second time in his career. And that's really just about it. You might get something from, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. You know, you may get something from Pokoshevsky, but definitely not something you could like set a, a clock to. Um, yeah, it, it just isn't a whole lot there. Like you said, we know what this team is trying to do. So it's really not really a whole lot of intrigue in terms of where will they be going from here? We know, you know, the fact that they're five and seven, I think is great. It, you know, middling around winning games, they probably shouldn't and, and being close in games that they probably shouldn't either. I mean, the only reason why they probably lost to the Nets because they couldn't defend Kevin Durant, which one joined the club, but two, the fact that it came down to just that one factor. And yeah, they ended up losing by a sizable margin, but it was pretty close considering, you know, the level of talent on Brooklyn and the fact that the Thunder are, well, the Thunder, you know. Um, I take another team I throw right over here. They've just been disappointing. That's Sacramento Kings, who offensively have been great. Seventh in offensive rating, uh, 24th in defensive rating. And when I, when I say they've been disappointing, they're 5-8. and eight. Their record's not horrible. And I mean disappointing because, like, they, in my opinion, should be better. I mean, losing the way they did to uh, the Thunder, not only just having Darren Fox get just, just straight robbed by Lou Dort, but also the fact that they had 13 turnovers. Um in that in that game and, and we're talking about clutch turnovers like down the clutch they're just not very good they're 77 per 100 um in terms of 44 points on 57 clutch possess- possessions it, they have more turnovers than field goals in that time and you saw what happened in phoenix where they cut a 24 point deficit down to three they saw devin booker miss two free throws and then what did they do they couldn't complete the inbounds pass like they've lost four they lost four straight um before playing detroit um it's just been it's just been a, a kind of rough stretch. Uh, they have Minnesota, so we'll see. They have Toronto and Utah. Like, they've had a, a soft road trip. Uh, but when they get home against those other two teams, again, Toronto and Utah, they're going to have a much tougher challenge. And we'll kind of have to see how they respond. Yeah, they just they haven't been playing well. And I think Darren Fox still a bit struggling. So we have yet to see him really break that. But it's probably coming at some point. Um, that loss to OKC was just really bad. And they just haven't really played up to par. Like, this team should be a lot steadier than the way they are right now. But they kind of just fade throughout a lot of these games where they'll start off good and they'll just slowly kind of taper off and lose control of the game. Yeah, it seems to be something that's kind of happening more regularly. I agree. Um just this like they have control for a minute and then they don't you know or they start really well and and then like you said down the clutch when it comes to finishing closing out these games it's 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 a problem and like i would be more understanding if this was a younger team but it really isn't i mean even darren fox has been around five years now you know these guys have been around for a second they kind of know how this thing works and they're just not able to uh execute and that's and that's an issue especially for a team that entertains hopes of uh play-in tournament so Going from that, I guess we can kind of take this next tier in like a bunch, but we'll, we'll pick the most exciting team you want to kind of talk about here on the route. Um, we're going to go between the Pacers, the Hawks, the Blazers, the Celtics, and the Grizzlies. And the Pacers are six and eight, um, Hawks five and nine, Blazers six and eight, uh, Celtics six and seven, Grizzlies six and seven. So I think the Pacers are easily the most boring team. I don't NBA, know why, but they so. always are. I think automatically I'm just not going to talk about them. They haven't really done anything. Uh, it's almost like someone's injured every other game, so the team's just weird to get a figure out on. That's this true. whole 
front line of Turner and Sabotis is still kind of awkward. But yeah, I'm done with the Pacers. Uh, the Grizzlies, like we've all seen John Morant be really good this year and kind of take that next step and really improve as a shooter. But a lot of the other guys, like I said it last year, Jonas Valanciunas was a big part of their of their offense and defense. And it looks like he's missed quite a bit. Jaron Jackson isn't as good as uh, they hoped yet. Uh, he'll still probably improve and he'll get better, but their defense has been really bad. And that's the thing. Like, last couple of years, their defense was solid. And this year, their defense is just straight up bad. And, yeah, Dylan Brooks was out for a bit, but it's really their interior defense has struggled. That's true. That's true. It's something that we've seen. Um, I would say it's a noticeable absence. It's a noticeable kind of lacking um, to this roster that they they really – they you can tell they missed it, but I guess they probably didn't understand just how badly – that that has been for them, but it has been uh, pretty significant. Uh, and yeah, before uh, their Houston beat, before being down Houston, my fault, they're seven and seven. Before the Grizzlies beat down Houston, they lost four of their last five with a minus 67 point differential during that span. Like, I it, it's been it's been rough. The Pacers, the Pelicans snapped their losing streak against the Grizzlies. And you mentioned Jonas Valanciunas, he played a big part in that. Yeah, the, the Pel- losing to Pelicans was. Awful. Wake up call. Yeah. And I think this team won't be this bad for the whole season. They'll probably figure it out. Uh, Steven Adams, I think, might not be as good as Valentinus, but he'll probably be better defensively. And this team will figure it out eventually. I think Jared Jackson could be a lot better. He still isn't shooting well. So that's the one thing we could, you could kind of count on for him. Mm-hmm. So this team does have some optimism. That's true. That's true. They have something where they can at least say, okay, you know, we have, we'll hope to move forward. And I mean, we're kind of in that kind of tier where you're either a, a middling team that has hope of moving up or your team that really shouldn't be in this kind of phase that you are um, for reasons that are pretty obvious. If you're looking at, you know, let's say the Lakers or something, we'll get to them in a second here. Um, but going down from the Raptors right now, um, who are seven and eight after losing the Portland, the Charlotte Hornets, the Knicks, the Bucks, um, and then let's talk about the Lakers. Uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention my Lakers part real quick. I'm not sure what's going on with the Lakers. Every time I feel they're turning on, they're turning a corner, they end up not. Um, they had the return of Taylor Horn Tucker, who helped them um, beat the Spurs on Sunday with a 114-106 win. Then they just got just ramshackled from Chicago. Tonight they play Milwaukee. Then it's Boston and Detroit. The good news is for the Lakers that LeBron James supposedly going to be returning against Boston, which will be great. Um, he has missed a huge chunk of time considering how early the season is. Um, Wayne Ellington, of course, came back after missing the first eight games because of a hamstring injury. But still, there's concerning um, kind of signs all around. If you look at the way the Lakers offense just runs through AD when LeBron's on the court. Look at the way the Lakers offense runs when LeBron's on the court, period. But you still have a lot of two big lineups. Still have a lot of... Uh, uh, backcourt lineups of zero shooting um, in Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo. That hasn't been working out very well. You're relying way too much on Carmelo Anthony at this year of our Lord 2021 um, for any team that has really championship expectations. Um, he's just playing so much and you're trying to get minutes out of other guys as well. And yes, 
Some of it is injuries, of course. You have had guys like Trevor Reza not touch the court. You know, you've had Wayne Ellington, who's been out a while, Tainhorn Tucker, LeBron, of course. Kendrick Nunn still hasn't touched the court yet. Like, there's been a lot. Austin Reeves has been out. We get it. But with the guys on the court, I mean, losing twice like you did to the Thunder, you know, not even making competitive against some of these teams that you should at least be in the ballpark with, it's been incredibly disappointing. Um, after my rant there, Honoru, do you have anything else to ask? Can we talk about this? But the ejection it was the funniest thing. Oh my like, god! Whoever this st- official yes. is needs to be reprimanded by the NBA. Because I'm sorry, AD should not have been ejected for that. He really shouldn't have. I don't understand. Like, okay, fine. Yeah, he was mad that the ref wouldn't let him put a shoe back on. That's kind of a thing that you usually let happen. So I would be upset about that as well. But then you have uh, just the. It was just the weirdest thing. I just I don't. I don't understand why he was so quick to jump on him and go, okay, you're out just because he basically got cursed at for something that, yeah, rightfully so. Yeah. When I first saw that he got ejected, I thought like he threw a shoe or something at him. I didn't realize. No, he was just trying to put on his shoes. Yeah. He was like, trying to put his shoe on and they weren't stopping play. Like normally that's a moment to like, okay, let me get my guy up there, you know, get ready and, and all that. And that was something that he was just not going to let happen for reasons that, we still don't know. And, and and Coach Vogel said it himself. He said it, he put it really succinctly. Like he wouldn't let he wouldn't let him put the shoe on. He was mad about that. He wouldn't stop acting let him put the shoe on. AD made his 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 voice heard. The ref said, forget you, you're out. And for what reason? Like there definitely should be some reprimand rep, reprimand from the league um, in terms of discipline there. But at that point, also, like the Lakers are down by exactly 20. I'm not really fretting over that because you know it was it was the damage was already done all the concerns I already had as a Lakers fan were already like just prevalent there but that was just like the the crappiest cherry on the crap Sunday that was that Lakers loss yeah the Minnesota losing to Minnesota and the way that they lost was really bad and yeah yeah LeBron's coming back but this supporting cast is just the Lakers have a lot of things to figure out. They do. They do. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of how they're going to figure this out, too, because the scheming that I thought would happen hasn't happened yet. So, like, I, and I get it. Like, a lot of that is still waiting on guys to get healthy. But guess what? You got to win the games that you have in front of you in the meantime, between time. You know, you got to make do. Okay, we didn't have Trevor Reese, so we're like ninth in the Western Conference, like, that's unexplainable. That's inexcusable. You know, Kendrick Nunn, same thing. Like, forget that. That's ridiculous. So you, the, some of this has to go on Frank Vogel. Some of this has to go on the player's effort. I'm looking at Russell Westbrook, too, because he had moments of, like, really good play. I think despite the Lakers just being just awful against the Bulls, Russell Westbrook had himself a pretty decent game. In the Spurs win, he definitely made himself a, a big part of that come down to stretch. And there's been moments where he's been that guy, uh, just very, very rare, far and in between. But, like, there's moments, okay, this is what we traded for. Other times, like, watching that Bulls game, all I saw was, like, DeMar DeRozan. I'm like, we could have had DeMar DeRozan. I actually wanted DeMar DeRozan because DeMar DeRozan wanted to be in L.A. Yeah. Uh I have yet to see, like, this DeRozan thing is shocking everyone at this point, how good he's been playing. Um, If it's true that the deal was ready and he was going to go to L.A. and then Russell Westbrook just called the Lakers owner, then I think 
Wizards fan everywhere are celebrating that call, and Lakers fans are dreading that call. That does make the most sense. I kind of have to agree with you there for sure. Like in terms of how, like where they, they that 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 long term fallout of that is. But I just don't know. I think there's a lot more that they had them. They had them. They could have had them. There's, I mean, I, I really hope that there's like another like long form piece about the Lakers offseason and what they had the chance to do this year and what they ultimately decided to do. And the sad thing is, I'm still torn because I'm a West Russell Westbrook fan. I want this to succeed, not only as a Lakers fan, but also as a Westbrook fan. The two cannot be mutually exclusive on this. Like, they, they kind of have to be hand in hand. And so I need this to work. But at the same time, I was also very rational in terms of saying, okay, like, Russ is not the perfect fit for this roster. And he just isn't. Like, that's just objective. It just is. And the fact that you're going to take a square peg and force it into a round hole, well, guess what? They're both starting to, 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 to kind of blunt each other out. And that's always the risk. Like, I don't get it. And yes, it's still very early, but like at what point will I have to stop saying it's very early 30 games in after Christmas, I'm going to wait till after Christmas to like not make this a reality. But if it gets to that point, then it gets to that point. Yeah. I've been wondering if you can use Westbrook similar to how, like I thought maybe Simmons could be used where you kind of use him as the receiver and handoffs where he's kind of in semi-transition where generating like a mini four on three break in the half court and things like that where you're getting him into the action quickly as opposed to him actually driving the action. Um but Westbrook at this point we kind of know what he is. Like if LeBron comes back maybe he can adjust himself but I'm done with the Lakers. Like we we just have to wait till LeBron comes back. There's not much we're gonna learn from them otherwise. So cold. But yeah, you said it. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. Any other teams in this kind of tier that you want to talk about? Uh, the Clippers are kind of in this kind of same area, the 76ers, uh, before we get down to the Mavericks and the upper echelon. I think I'm pretty good. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, let's move on. Um, I got my top four teams. Uh, I, I want to dive here, then we'll give you... Well, actually, let's give your, your, your Mavericks a segment here first before we kind of go into... I'll do my top eight. So, here's an interesting uh, stat. The Mavericks are 9-4 and four right now. They do have a negative uh, point differential, slightly okay. negative. It has improved over that win against Denver they were at like bottom 10 earlier but this team just feels a bit weird like I think they've been figuring out a lot more as they play Jason Kidd I'll say the biggest surprise to me is that Mm -hmm. Jason Kidd hasn't been a horrible coach and this team hasn't been lit on fire and just outright tearing up every game they've been solid and I think you can see like a lot of the losses make sense like yeah, they had some big losses early on to Atlanta and Denver, but yeah, I think overall this team, you can see where it's building. And Porzingis has just been looking really good these last few games, like two very good games back-to-back. And I think it's a sense of optimism just seeing him. And this Luke injury is a bit of a damper, but I think Luke will probably come back and this team will be fine. Um, Reggie Bullock still hasn't and shooting the ball really well. So once that happens and Dorian Finney-Smith starts to shoot, 
will be good. And I think one of the fun things was the Mavs small ball lineup. Mm-hmm. And so Jason Kidd has been reluctant to try out the non or the one big lineup because we kind of know that Porzingis needs another big out there just to acre no. some time during the regular season, especially if you're going against someone like Jokic, like KP's not the type of guy you want guarding Jokic or Embiid. Mm-hmm. But in the game against Denver, like the reason the Mavs were able to come back was because of this bench unit of Brunson, Nilakina, Hardaway, Bullock, and Finney Smith. Super small lineup, and they just tore up Denver, constantly running up and down the floor, defending, and they were just fast. And yeah, Denver was on the second night of back-to-back, but I think there was some promise in that small unit, and you could probably swap out Hardaway with Luka and run a version of that with other another game. So Kid is trying out new things, which I do like. And overall, I'm a lot more optimistic about this team than where I was after the first week. I, I have to agree. I have to agree. I just feel like, I don't know. The Mavericks have shown a lot more encouraging signs. That's what I do now. Like you said, Porzingis has had a lot more confidence um, and has shown. I thought he had a great game against Denver. He had a good game uh, before that. Like you said, you're, you're calling out other guys who stepped up and are going to have to continue to step up in the absence of Luka Doncic, at least for the very short term here. So there's definitely going to have to be some kind of across the board um, just lifting of each other up and hopefully the development of uh, Jason Kidd's coaching. We'll, we'll see some light with the absence of Doncic to how he kind of works with that because I find that uh, to be kind of the most interesting development of this whole thing. Yeah, uh, I will give a shout out to Frank Nelkina who has been like absolute fan favorite in Dallas. Mm-hmm. You said he's the like Alex was, Russo. Yeah, like I think he's playing a similar role where like he's uh, he's not the cult hero that Alex Caruso nah, is, and he's probably is? not as good as Alex Caruso. Nope. But just in terms of being this guy that comes off the bench, can run a little bit of your offense, plays hard on defense, will guard the perimeter, and can shoot a little bit, and just does all the right things where he he'll cut to the basket, he'll set screens, and he's just a really good glue guy. And for I just enjoy it when a lottery pick who kind of gets a little miscast and maybe thrown out of the league a little bit where he's kind of just being not even getting minutes in New York, but Dallas takes a chance on him. And I think so far Dallas has been benefiting. He's been really good and he's been earning a lot of minutes. Like he practically sent Josh Green to the G league just because of how good he's been. That's certainly impactful. And it just shows you're right. Some guys just need that, that change of scenery and that opportunity and yeah, I think that you you kind of put the nail on the head when it comes to what you've gotten from Nilakina so far. And just knowing his role, being that guy, more of a wing than a point guard for sure. And and playing kind of with that confidence as someone who knows that, okay, if I put in the work, you know, on the court, I'll be rewarded. Whereas in New York, it was kind of fluctuating all the time in terms of expectations and roles and all of that. So definitely with you on that for sure. Well, going on now to my final eight. Just gonna put this all in one big gulp. Me and Honor have been going on for a minute here. I have number one, the Warriors, who are now 12 and 2 after just blowing out the Brooklyn Nets uh earlier today. Well, yesterday here. The Suns are second for me. They started losing three or four, and now they've won nine straight. Then I have the Wizards, because the Wizards are at the top of the Eastern Conference playing well. After that, I have the Bulls. The Bulls have been great, went on a pretty kind of rough road trip. Um, and not only showed up, but showed out. Yeah, they lost to the Warriors, but 
this day, these days, who isn't losing to them, but then also went and beat both the Clippers and the Lakers in, in dominant fashion and have been playing really well, even in the absence of starting big man Nikola Vucevic. And by the way, even when he is there, he is only averaging 13 and 10, has not been himself shooting sub 30% from three, um, just really low percent from just two ra- two point range. So like we haven't even gotten like the best version of, of Nikola Vucevic either. Uh, you just had DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, who have just been so good um, just helping drive the Bulls along, who they're 13th in offensive rating, 5th in defensive rating, 5th in net rating. Like, this team has been so good. After that, I got the Nuggets, then the Jazz, then the Sixers. That kind of rounds out the upper tier of the Corbin Honorud round ball ramble, rambling. <laughs> we're, we're workshopping the name. Round ball ramble power rankings. But before I close out here, I have to ask Anarud, um, out of those teams, the Warriors, Suns, Nets, Wizards, Bulls, which of them have been the most exciting, most interesting to you to kind of watch? Easy, the Wizards. The Wizards. Okay. All right. Is that just, Every team uh, that, like, I have even remotely thought about over the offseason, seeing the Wizards as number one in the East was not anywhere in those possibilities. And it's not even like Bradley Beal's playing out of his mind and just scoring a bunch. He's been kind of below average for Bradley Beal standards. And it's been their defense that's been winning them games. Denny Avdia, Matras Harrell, I think, is starting to show up a little bit. Just I do think the foul change, the rules to shooting and stuff have helped him just as an offensive rebounder. Mm-hmm. can be a little more physical and just in general be a little more of that hustle energy guy that we used to see in, in LA, but well, in the Clippers, not the Lakers, but guys like him, uh, a lot of the Lakers guys, Kuzma, KCP have been solid. Spencer Dinwiddie has been pretty good for them. And overall, this team just feels like they're gelling and Wes Unsell Jr. is starting to show off. It's like really good coach for them. And I think it's quite fitting that the Wizards had their best start in I don't know, 30 years where I saw this stat recently where it was like the last time the Wizards have been this good to start a season was when Wes Unseld Sr. was running the team as a player. Wow. Wow. So the Wizards wow. like never start off as have good starts. And this is the first time that they've had this good start. So good for them. Obviously, we have to see will this defense sustain itself. But I think there are a lot of things to like about this team. I mean, they, they, they've obviously shown they can win a variety of ways. Uh, they had a tough, gutsy performance without the services, of course, of Bradley Beal, who's been out for personal reasons. So uh, they definitely have been a team that has been resilient. And you're right, like, people have been trying to jump on that trade, the Russell Westbrook uh, Wizards trade for the jump. And in my opinion, like, at best, both teams are going to win. At worst, the Lakers would lose, but like the Wizards were always going to win because one, you're trading basically one for four because you got, you know, the services of Contavious Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, and Montrose Harrell, but you also open up space to then go and get Spencer Dinwiddie as well. All of those guys who together are, are, they fill positions of need for the Washington Wizards that they did have last year, even with Russell Westbrook, who may be the better singular talent, but now you have multiple guys filling the gaps who may not be A plus. I'm not saying that Russell's A plus, but like, aren't a players across the board, but you have several B players to fill in gaps that you had before. So I think that there was no way the Wizards were going to lose this anyway. The fact that Russell has kind of floundered in LA and the fact that Wizards have played as well as they have has been totally different, but like you have guys who know how to play 
guys who have won championships on that roster and really just KCP and Kyle Kuzma, but you have guys who know kind of the grind. You have young guys. We haven't even seen Rihachi Murray yet, but Denny Abija has been doing great. Um, you also, have, of course, Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, Montrose Howell doing what Montrose Howell does. Like, you've had just solid, competent basketball at all five positions for the Wizards for the most part, which is not something they've had in, I want to say, a couple of years. Yeah, and I think the vibes there have been really good. Like, Kuzma gets a lot of crap, and I am one of the person who people who craps on him occasionally. But he did have a really nice quote where um, – I don't remember the exact quote off the top of my head, but in general, the idea was – someone's asking about the defense and him coming here. And he explained that like one of the things that was really helpful for him was having this scheme and this idea by, uh, by uh, their coach and what's up to the junior and just having this really good scheme and explaining from day one, like here are your roles. Here's what you're going to have to do and being a defense first team. And I think it's showing that the coach has this team fighting and playing really well right now. And, yeah, they might be a little over their head, but this is a good team, and they're playing like it. Yeah, definitely. They're they're not only. I would say, I guess that we're gonna call it. We're gonna do it the Ramble Spotlight Team of the Week. We have to pick one. I think this is as good a, a team as any to make as our Spotlight Team of the Week. Would you agree, Anarud? For sure. As long as we ban the Pelicans from ever entering this conversation. You know what? Listen, now I have to put the Pelicans in there just to be funny one day. But as of now, I absolutely cannot and will not. So I have to agree with you. We're going to have to hold them away for another day. Um, Pelicans, your time will come, I'm sure. Maybe when Zion comes back. In either event, this has been fun, Anarud. Thank you again for jumping on and joining me. Um, we know we can find you right here. But um, listen, you got you to you gotta, you gotta start a blog or something, man. I, I can't be the only one to benefit from your hoop takes. Although I'll gladly do it. Yeah, I'm in the process of creating my blog where I can I'm writing thinking about writing weekly articles about just little nuggets about the NBA week and kind of like going over a couple of plays that I tend to like. Like spoiler alert for the first one, uh, the end of the Celtics Cavs game, Ricky Rubio had this brilliant play. Uh, if you didn't watch it, I'd recommend everyone go see it. But in jet, the basic idea was there's like 10 seconds left on the clock. Uh, Garland shoots, misses, uh, they get the rebound, give it back to Rubio, and uh, Mobley has Schroeder in a post, and Rubio tells Mobley to come up so he can actually throw him the ball because he had a mismatch. Marcus Smart realizes that, goes over to cover, and out of the corner, you see Jared Allen just slowly inching towards the bucket, the bucket and Rubio just hits him with this really nice pass. And I think overall, just Ricky Rubio has been playing really well. A little bit of return to the Spain. Ricky Rubio, the one that was really highly valued in the draft. And it's been a lot of fun to see. And I think with Colin Sexton out and now Mobley out, it's just more Ricky Rubio, which I am always all for. There it is, unleashing Rubio. And, I mean, I like the fact that we're seeing basically FIBA Rubio, Olympic Rubio coming, a lot more aggressive offensively than we've seen in years, ever, I'd say. Now we just need FIBA Gobert. Oh, man, we get FIBA Gobert. Is the league even ready for that, bro? To be honest, I think the Utah Jazz should try it. Just give it the ball to him in the post on mismatches. Like, Gobert's been doing that in the FIBA. So let him try it. 
in the NBA. Like he might actually have some good results. And hey, I don't know, maybe you can play that against small ball units and it won't be as bad. You know what? It's possible. It's possible. I mean, you make a good point. I'm not going to argue it. I'm just going to say I agree. And let's see. Maybe we'll get that. <laughs> but, bro, thank you again for hopping on and joining me here. Definitely enjoy having you on, my friend. And uh, we will be doing this again real soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. You can find Anarud here for now. When the blog drops, you will know it because we'll have it here. It'll be a Ramble Ramble exclusive. <laughs> but um, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin MBA. Check out Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball Tweets online, hoop ball.com. We'll be at it again with more content tomorrow, breaking down some of these games, seeing what's going on. So definitely make sure to stay in touch with us on that. Until next time, for Honor Rude, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty and I'll talk to y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.